You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with another streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can, and I will try not to laugh too hard as Andy is trying to sing my uh, introduction in the background. So I told you in the last show that I wanted to start with just a great story, a great lesson that happened today. Like just a great lesson. So in the school I'm in, in Yeshiva's Dachai Torah, we, one of the beautiful things they do is they have this elementary school play for the girls. So girls play, girls only, women only, and the entire elementary school is involved. Now, obviously, if you're in first grade or second grade, maybe you do a little song, maybe you'll do a little dance or something. And, and as each grade progresses, there's something a little more complicated. And by the seventh and eighth grade, I think, maybe sixth grade, I'm not 100% sure, um, they start doing these. They'll have uh, more complicated dances and they'll have the actual play. In other words, there's a play running with the seventh and eighth graders and 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 uh, and solos and singing and then in between you know for wherever it fits you'll have a song by a first and second grade class you have a dance by a third and fourth grade class and that's the gist of it so we do it in our auditorium our auditorium is not really set up for major um plays like this because you need all kinds of um of risers and platforms for all these grades to have a place to sit and then stand up when they have to sing and then sit down and then move in and then move out. So you got to get all kinds of stuff, no problem. People rent it. It's very easy. So we rent all this equipment, and we have a sound guy. We have a guy for sure for 20 years, probably even longer. He's just the guy. right? He's the guy he has... I don't know how many mics, 20 mics and the booms and the hanging and the soundboard. He has all the stuff. And I don't know the ins and outs of the story, but um, all of a sudden they found out today he's not available. Now, it's very possible that they so rely on him that it doesn't occur to him that he has a life and he might not be available. And sure enough, he's out of town. He's just not available to get them all the equipment. So we have the company coming in, and they're setting up all the stuff. And the, the, the lady running the play says to them, you know, I need hanging, and I need the booms, and I need, I need um, the body mics, or whatever they call them. There's an official title for it. I just keep forgetting what it is. And, yeah, I probably need like 12. And the guy says, what? Uh, that's not on the list. Yeah, yeah, it's last minute. We we just found out. He says, well, I, I, I have two other shows going on. They have most of that sound equipment. And he's trying to figure out how much you can get. They call me in and just to make sure everybody's speaking the same language. And I said, uh, okay, so how many do you need? And and they only have so many they can set up. And okay, I, we, I basically work out and I have to figure it out. I go back to my class. 
They call me back, and they say, you know, it's a big problem. Emergency. Um, we c- they have a total of 12 connections, but they only have like seven of the actual mics. We need to get a hold of four body mics and one more mic. Uh, maybe you know a place where where they could um, where we could rent these mics, where we can get the mics from. Now, this lady, very nice lady, she has no idea that I have a podcast. She has, which is a sad fact, by the way. She should know this, but she doesn't. She has no idea that last summer I brought in Alan and his team so we could professionally video our choir because of Corona and everything else. We weren't going to have a dinner, but we wanted the choir and we were going to profession. We did professionally video, sound, the works, the choir, and the lighting. It was beautiful. She has no idea. But she asks me, can I get a hold of four body mics? I say, give me a few minutes. I have to, you know, I was in class. Give me a few minutes and I'll make a few phone calls. So sure enough, I finish class, go out, call David. David uh, hands the phone to Alan. Alan says, no problem. He's going to deliver the body mics uh, later this afternoon or this evening. And everything will be fine and dandy. Great story. Wonderful. Amazing. But that's, that's not what I want from this story. What I want from this story is the lesson connected to the story. What's the lesson? The lesson is, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Look, I'm a, besides being a teacher, everyone I've talked multiple times, I'm also a fundraiser, and it's the simplest rule. If you do not ask, the answer for sure is no. No one is walking in and handing you a large check just because you exist. If you ask, then they could say no. And you have to know how to ask. And maybe you know you need to know when to ask and how to set it up and to have programs. Obviously, to be a better fundraiser, there's a lot of tools that go along. There's a lot of skills that go along with it. But first things first, the most simple rule, and by the way, it's not only fundraising, it's in any business you exist in, it's in any part of life. If you do not ask, the answer is no. So she asked me, not knowing that I could just make a phone call and it should be no problem. She had no idea. But she knows that she needs these mics. And she is clueless. And God's going to have to help her. But she has to ask. Okay, ask Jacobson. Maybe he could figure it out. She asked Jacobson. Jacobson made a phone call. Isn't that fun to talk about me in third person? So I made a phone call, took care of it, spoke to Alan when I got here this afternoon. They'll get their mics. I said, make sure you bill us because people work better when they get billed. I don't mean Alan. I mean, we will, if it's free, then you don't have to be so careful. As soon as you pay for it, now you know it's real. You'll be more careful with my stuff. So anyways, I just said that's a great lesson to start with. The idea of asking people for help, which of course is an amazing lead-in to what I wanted to talk about. I have to tell you, um, I wasn't even sure that I had a good lead-in for what I wanted to talk about, but here I am, and that's my lead What are we going to talk about today? So very interesting, in the beginning of this week's Torah portion is a special command that every year, every man from 20 to 60, which is really the, or at least above 20, which is really the age of being in the army, has to give a half shekel. Generally speaking, it's the half of the common coin being used. 
So there's no official value because even in the Talmudic times, it talks about, or in the Mishnah times, it talks about how there were different coins that they used to say we're going to use this half coin. So that was something that happened. Uh, um, it changed at different times. They high, more expensive coins, less expensive coins, but it's it's really not a, a, a large amount. But when you get millions of people giving you this half coin, you now have the money to buy all public sacrifices for the year, right? There's a sheep in the morning, a sheep in the afternoon, and then on the Sabbath there's a couple extra sheep, and on the holidays, and then there's some of the runnings of the temple. This was used, this half shekel was used um, in the temple to buy the sacrifices, public sacrifices. Um, so that's this command that everybody has to give a half a shekel. Could other people give? Yeah. Children could give, women could give, no problem. You could give, but the people that it, it was it was a forced tax if you were a man. If you were a child or for women, it wasn't a forced tax. You want to give, go right ahead, we'll accept it. But it's not a tax that you have to give. As a man that doesn't want to give, so we're going into his house, we're taking something. We're gonna take a collateral. You owe us money, you gotta pay. This is not uh, for free. It's not charity. It's something you must give. Now, it happened to have served many other purposes. Um, first of all, it was interesting, by the way. Um, specifically, this tax, um, everybody gave, and everybody gave half. And I was, you could have been a multimillionaire, and the tax was you had to pay the half a coin. You want to give other charity, go right ahead. We love when you give charity. But even a wealthy person can't walk in and say, well, you know, here's a full coin, keep the change. No. You give us half a coin, and you must take the change. Specifically for this, everyone had to be equal. A poor person didn't get to say, I'm a poor man, I can't afford it. Go raise the money. You must pay this half coin. It was used as a forgiveness for the golden calf, which we talked about in the last show. It also protected us from the the story of Purim, which is coming up in a few weeks, of course, which we'll get to talk lots, lots. We love Purim. But this year, because it's a leap year, so Purim is a month pushed off, so uh, Purim is not for a good five weeks. So Haman, in the story, when Haman wants to get permission from King Ahasuerus to annihilate the Jewish people, he knows that the first thing that's on the king's mind is taxes. So Amon says, here's 10,000 loaves of silver, like 10,000 bars of silver. That will cover all the taxes you're going to lose for the Jewish people. And in Haman's mind, it also covered the, um, the, the... He knew that the Jewish people had a protection because they would always give their half a shekel coin. Haman says, I'm also giving... Because some say, he told Achashverosh, the only way we'll be able to counteract their half shekel coin is to give a lot of charity, so this will be charity. So God says, too late. The Jewish people were first, they give this half shekel every year. They preceded, their giving precedes your giving. You cannot counteract it. So that means these half shekels protected us from Haman's silver. Why half? I mean, we're not talking about a big coin. Nowadays, uh, usually on Tiny Esther, right before Purim, people will also give this half coin 
as a symbolic, you know, it would just be for charity. There's no, obviously, there's no collection for sacrifices. So uh, we'll give charity. We actually give three of them. Um, uh, most synagogues will have it, and uh, they'll have plates for it. You might want to give to a school. You might want to give to the synagogue. You might want to give to a charity. You might want it for poor people. There's like all kinds of plates. And you basically just give for whoever you want. You give for your kids. You give for your wife. You give whatever you want. M- uh, many people don't give for the wife, but whatever it is, um, we're talking about a dollar fifty, right? We're not talking about a lot of money, right? Even for me, it's not a lot of money. So, and if you told me it was three dollars instead of a dollar fifty, I have to give for a couple kids, right? As my boys get married, they're on their own. Um, so I have a few boys left in the house, so it'll cost me twelve dollars. $15? What are we talking about already? Like, what's the big deal? Why half? So the answer to why half is, is a beautiful lesson, and I think the lesson connects very nicely with what we were discussing earlier today. At the beginning of the show, my whole story, what I tell you about the story, I told you that don't be afraid to ask because it doesn't matter what you need. It's irrelevant what a person needs, and the person you're asking you think is clueless and has nothing to do with what you need. If you need something, ask. Because the worst that could happen is the person will say, I can't help you. But a lot of times they'll say, but I know someone who could. I was on the phone last night with somebody. And, uh, okay, we're talking about uh, we're looking at different buildings. Um, we need a second building. For Yeshiva Stachy Torah, so we're we're looking at different options that are out there. So we're going to be taking a walk through in a couple of weeks through a we know a building that's in terrible um, disrepair, but I, I need people who can tell me is this building worth fixing? Is it not worth fixing? Does it need be need to be demolished? Like what are we talking about? So the guy says, "Oh, I have a friend, and this friend has a company. This is what they do, and he's not going to charge you." He's my friend. He owes me. He'll do it. No problem. Huh. Just like that. I'm discussing with a friend what I need for help. But this guy is a financial advisor. He doesn't know um, if this wall has to be demolished, if this water damage can be repaired, if it's worth fixing the building. He doesn't know, but he knows people. right? So when we ask, people help. Or they find the people who can help. Or the people ask the people to find someone to help. Right? Because people need people. No one should ever think or feel, by the way, that he's in it on his own, that he, he, she must do everything. There's no such thing. The whole idea in this world is we do things together. We talked the last few weeks, the concept of family. Family has to be together, right? Of course, a marriage is a beautiful thing when people are together. But just in general, whatever we're doing in life God set up the world that we are not living as a hermit on the top of a mountain by ourselves. People need people. People want people. People crave people. People need friendship. But one thing at a time. So there's nothing wrong with needing people and asking for help. One day someone will ask you for help, so you help them. One day you need help. You could ask for the person to reciprocate, usually better um, as we've talked in the past, not to do a favor so that someone will reciprocate. I have talents. If you ask me, I'll help you. You have talents or you know people, you'll help me. That's that's how we do it, right? And that's the lesson in the half coin. 
A half coin is not complete. I am not a complete person by myself. I'm a complete person when I help others, and I'll connect to them, and they'll help me, they'll connect to me. That's how we run the world. The world is run, the people need people. No one does anything completely on their own. And no one should do anything on their own. We should ask for help. We should do things with others. You talk to other people, you get other ideas in your head. You find out things that you didn't think of, right? If, if we're sitting there in our office and imagining that we have all the answers or we even know all the questions, that's ridiculous. Bring in somebody else or multiple somebody else's and you find out, oh, I didn't think of that. Oh, that's a good idea. I wish somebody would have told me about that. You have your meetings, you have, right? Even well-run board meetings or well-run um, administrative meetings, right? When they're run well. Right? When you're open to listening, right? when you're not in it on your own, people say ideas. Some are good, some are not. Yes, of course, someone has to make a decision at the end of the day. I'm not discussing who makes a decision. I'm just discussing the concept of a half coin that when we, that when we combine, when we work together, we accomplish much more. And that's the idea of the half coin. Everybody gives a half coin to say none of us can do it on our own. We all need to be with others. We all need to join. So that's this beautiful lesson of the half coin. Next, about this half coin, which is really fascinating, uh, there's a few things we find in the Torah that Moses had tremendous difficulty with. He could not understand it. For example, Moses could not understand how to make the menorah, that seven-branch candelabra, with all the different designs, and it had to be made from one piece, and it had to be beaten from a from a kikar, it's a weight of gold, and he, he just couldn't figure out how to do it. So God says, fine, you can't do it, throw it in the fire, and the, I'll, I'll do it for you. So we understand there's certain things that a person cannot figure out how to do on their own. No problem. The problem was that it says Moses couldn't f- understand this half coin. So God showed him a fiery half coin. So, well, you don't understand that there's a tax. Everybody has to give a half a coin. They'll pay the tax, and we're all good to go. What part of a half a coin are you not comprehending? Why did God have to show Moses a fiery half coin so that Moses could understand this concept of everybody donating half a shekel? So Zaman Surutskin says, beautiful. He says like this, of course Moses understands what it means that everybody gives half a coin so we can buy sacrifices. Moses had no problem understanding the rule. What Moses couldn't understand is how could a coin create forgiveness? How is it possible? Coin represents money. Money, we buy stuff with money. That's our luxuries or needs, right? There's things we need. There's luxuries, but money, right? We all know money creates jealousy. Money, people do things with money which are terrible. People will do terrible things to get money, right? You can figure out all the examples in your own head, right? So money has power to corrupt, right? So how is it possible that money, which could be so destructive, um, could also have the ability to forgive? That Moses had a problem with. So God showed Moses fire, Fire? Fire is very destructive, right? Buildings burn down, people get hurt, 
Fire is fire, right? Fire is very, very destructive. But <laughs> fire also is creative. Fire helps us live, right? You can't cook without fire, right? My house is freezing cold without fire, right? So there, there's like everything. There's a balance, right? Money could be used in destructive ways. Money could be used in constructive ways. Fire can be used in a destructive way. Fire can be used in a constructive way. So God saying Moses, the same way fire can be used different ways, money can also be used different ways. That's what Moses needed to understand, right? That money could be spiritually destructive and money could also become holy. The same coin which could be destructive, that same coin can be made holy. That's what Moses was having difficulty with, which, by the way, in this week's Torah portion is a beautiful juxtaposition because we start out the Torah portion where Moses has difficulty understanding how could money be creative. So God says, yeah, if money is used in a charitable way, money is creative. And then, of course, later in the Torah portion, we have the story of the golden calf, which if you're not familiar with the story, go back to the last show. And money, which which at the beginning of the Torah portion is creative, later in the Torah portion, that same gold, that same uh, metal that could be used in a good way, um, could be used in a destructive way when it's made to create a, a golden calf. So once we're talking about money and constructive and destructive, so there's a very famous story, at least it's famous in my head, it'll be famous now once I say it to you, um, there was a, a Jewish person, he worked in the Russian Diamond Exchange. And this story probably goes back to the mm, early 1900s. And he's on his way to work. And he had some important business meetings. And time is money. So he's walking down the street and a Jew comes out of one of the little synagogues and he says, please, sir, it's my father's yard site anniversary, my father's death. Please help me make a minion. I must say the Kaddish. So the guy says, you know, I'm really on my way to work. Please, please, it's so important to me. Please, please. So he says, fine. So he walks in. He figures he's number 10, right? You need nine people for a quorum, nine people for a minion. The guy is desperate. He's in the street. He's number 10. And the guy will say his Kaddish. It'll be a five-minute, three-minute um, delay. And he will, uh, he will get to synagogue. They'll get to his office. He, he walks in. There's three other guys sitting there. That means, plus the guy running around, there's five people there. Five people? He doesn't have a minion? I could be here for 20 minutes. I'm going to be late for my meeting. But fine. So he, uh, he sits there for a minute or two, and three, and four, and a, another six guy straggles in. A seventh guy finally decides to open up a book, to uh, something to study, uh, a little Torah, a little prayer, a little Psalms. Eh. Eight people still short. He's been there 15 minutes already. The guy's he's getting ready to leave. The guy says, you can't leave. If it was your father, I would do it for you. Fine. So finally they get a minion. He figures the guy is going to say the Kaddish and he'll go to work. No, no. The guy starts from the beginning of the prayers. He's going to be here now for the next 40 minutes. So he's frustrated but what should he do? Nothing to do. Finally, the prayers are over, 
and he thanks everybody and thanks everybody and bless everybody. So this uh, guy is now is making his way to the Russian Stock Exchange. All of a sudden, he's getting close to the business district, and people are running. People are running. And he and a guy turns to him and says, uh, he says, what's going on? Where are you going? He says, oh, I'm going to the office, going to the office. Didn't you hear the news? Tsar Nikola was just assassinated. The communists are taking over. They are ransacking the diamond exchange. They are killing anybody that has connection to business because uh, these are the communists. And he says, <laughs> he turns around, he takes his briefcase, which is probably full of diamonds, and he runs, he actually hides um, for the next couple of days, right? So what happened? He gave, right? He gave. He thought that he was uh, going to be losing out, and instead his giving, in this case of his time, saved his life, his money, his business, his family, and of course the music is playing. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all wonderful sponsor listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to all the production team. We have David, Cisco, and Andy in the back. I have left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.